What is going on everybody? Hope everybody's having a, a good day so far, whatever time of day it is you're listening to this. Uh, welcome back to Caffeinated Bible Chatter. We're back for our fourth part in the series we're doing on the words of God. Um, this is Kylo Shields. I'm sitting here with Dylan Brown. What's going on? Wife is good. And I, I told myself not to say that because I say that every single time. So, but life is good. Um, and as always, sipping on a coffee. Uh, I don't want to expose anything, but I do need to be honest that Kyle is not sipping on a coffee. Yeah, sweet tea. But he's got some caffeine in that. Yeah. Sweet tea does <laughs> does have caffeine, so it is true to the name. <laughs> but I, on the other hand, am drinking an Eliano's coffee. And if y'all have been with us for a time, I've mentioned it at least once or twice that I'm a big Eliano's fan. There's several coffee shops of that, uh, of Eliano's around the house. And so I got me one of these bad boys. And if, if, if you are a local to me and Kyle, you're in the Paulding, Harrelson. We probably shouldn't say that because there's someone <laughs> in Iran listening to this. But uh, and you're in our area. Um, you need to check out Eliano's and you need to get the salted caramel. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The Tuscany toffee latte mm. hot of course because that's the only way to drink coffee yes um so i would i would encourage you to do that it'll change your life but not it won't change your life like this book will but i can tell you if you get the book open on one side and that coffee on the other side things get uh, get moving in a hurry that's right I spirit, felt, it just unleashes the spirit of god in your life <laughs> <laughs> i felt like the tea was acceptable today because we're not we're not in a freezing cold uh our, our normal studio yeah we're outside the studio so the sound <laughs> sounds different than uh bear with us yeah hopefully it's not echoing too bad in here um but all right so i guess that's uh well this is the fourth part just to kind of recap if you missed some of them the first episode we did on this part one was did god preserve his words uh, the second part was, is the KJV superior? Uh, so we talked about why we believe uh, his words are, are in the King James. Uh, and then the last one we did last week was internal and external evidence of the King James Bible, uh, where, where we kind of went back and talked about the, the manuscripts, where things came from. Um, and then internal evidence, we compared uh, scripture with scripture um, in multiple versions to see how they've other Bibles have taken things out, added things, completely removed verses. Um, but if you, if you missed some of those, go back, check those out. Um, and then today we're going to, and you may hear some, some similar things that you've already heard today. Mm-hmm. But, it definitely uh, all overlaps for sure. Yeah. Um, but then today we're going to be talking about inspiration, um, scripture. Uh, we'll, we'll hit a lot of those references. Yeah, we were kind of actually... <clears throat> We're not sure what we're what we're naming this episode, uh, and that may be obvious throughout the episode. But uh, you know, really, our our goal is for this to be the final episode of this whole King James series, and then move on to something else. Um, and I, I think through the first three episodes, and then hopefully landing the plane in this episode, I think we've done at least a decent job in laying out why we have the position that we do. And not only laying that out, but laying out why it's important. Um, because at the end of the day, we keep going back to these, these, these same two references, and we're going to read those here in a minute, but God has, has promised uh, preservation. And so, like we've said in many episodes, many, many, most majority of Christianity believes 
that at one time there was an infallible inspired Bible or infallible inspired words of God that were written down. Okay, but the question really is, can you honestly say today that you are a Bible believer? Now, when I first say that, what most people think is, yeah, yeah, I'm a Bible believer. I, you know, I, I read the Bible. No, no. Are you, uh, uh, the Bible, the definition, as we've said before, the definition of the word Bible is a book. And so if you are somebody that thinks that you can only get God's pure truth in manuscripts, um, in the Greek or in the Hebrew, uh, and, and you believe that God's perfect truth is elsewhere outside of a book that you can hold in your hand today and read and get truth from the Lord from. If you don't believe that, then you're actually not a Bible believer. Now that sounds harsh, but it's really important. I think that in this episode, one of the things that we want to try to do is to, to show you how to define words. I mean, we've done that in this whole podcast. We've tried to do that and show you how to study the Word of God and stuff like that. Um, but many men throughout history in, in Christianity, they are, are what a lot of false doctrine uh, comes from is men actually taking true words from Scripture. Like if the word is uh, you know a certain word, they'll take that out and they will give it its own definition that they have created. And then, they, and then that way, when the reader that they're teaching has then read that word, they interpret that word the way that that man told them it means rather than what the Bible teaches it means by comparing Scripture with Scripture and actually seeing what the Bible says the word means. Now, like I said, maybe that's not something you've experienced, but that, that's what happens in, in Calvinism. And we've talked about Calvinism in here uh, on, on this podcast a little bit in passing. But that's what happens in Calvinism. They, there is, uh, okay, for instance, limited atonement. That's the softball. That's the easy one. Atonement is a Bible word. So when someone says a phrase like that, it's like, oh, yeah, well, that is, I see atonement there. That is the Bible. But the adjective attached with atonement is not biblical. And so they reinsert. And so a reason I'm saying that is because people that are critics of Scripture, and that's, that's what they are. They're people that say, hey, no, no, there's problems with your Bible. Now, again, I don't know what their goal is in that. I do I, Not for all of them. I do know that some of the, the people that do that, their goal is to show their intellect. That's what they think. They're trying to seem like a super smart person. They're trying to... They want people to come to them for truth rather than being able to go to the Word of God, going to their Bible and finding truth for, them, for themselves. It's like a power trip kind of thing. And that happens in, in Christian colleges all across America. That happens in a lot of local churches across America. And, and I will say this, that popes and the Catholic Church was always known for hiding truth. And in a way, Bible critics are actually no different. They're hiding truth in the sense that they... they you know, say they know a language that is non-conversational today and they know that that person needs to come to them to find out what it really means. And again, that sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 3. And maybe we, we do a curveball here, Kyle. Maybe we'll start off with Genesis chapter 3. All right, let's, you know what? Let's go ahead and read our references first. So uh, we'll, we're going to get to Genesis 3 on that line of thinking that I'm talking about with Bible critics and people that don't believe in a perfect Bible today. Uh, but our two verses of 
of preservation that we keep reading, Kyle has Psalm 12, 6, and 7. Yep, Psalms 12, 6, and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. That's like you were saying earlier, I, we, I think we just have to believe that God is big enough that he can, mm-hmm. he can figure out how to get his words in our language. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, Matthew twenty four thirty five says, heaven, Jesus talking here, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Okay, that's just two references that we keep hitting uh, because those are so clear. They're not hard to understand. Uh, very, very obvious, and God is saying he's going to preserve his words. He's going to, um, they're not going to pass away. Matter of fact, in the reference I just read, he says, heaven and earth shall pass away. Because by the way, we, it will. He will create a new heaven and a new earth, create new Jerusalem. And yet his words shall not pass away. They're, the, one reference says that they're forever settled in heaven. So, uh, man, I, I'm catching myself wanting to get ahead of myself. There's so much to say. Um, but like I said, at the end of the day, what we're as we've gone through the last three weeks and we're going through this final episode in this, my question to you as you and allow the Spirit of God to reveal that to you, but are you a Bible believer? Do you believe that you have God's words in a book? Because see, that the, the Bible critic will tell you that you have to go to the manuscripts. There's hundreds of them. Even the Texas Receptus. We're a big Texas Receptus. We like the Texas Receptus because, as we said in last week's episode, that is where, where we, they used to translate our King James Bible. Um, but there's, there's like 30 editions of the Texas Receptus. And by the way, I think I've said this before on here, the Texas Receptus that we have access to is from 1828, I believe, which is after the completion of our King James Bible by a long shot. So this will really, you know, make you make you go crazy. But there's there there are places that the King James Bible and the Texas Receptus disagree. You know what what I'm going with? I'm going with the King James Bible. It's my final authority. I'm a, I, I desire to be a Bible believer. I believe the book that God has given me. I believe, like we said last week, I believe that uh, that He is able. Obviously, He promises to preserve it, but I believe that He's able to to speak to us in this generation as well. Because really, when someone says, and I'm getting I'm getting a little word here, Kyle, I'm about to redirect. But when someone says that they believe you have to go to to languages and manuscripts. Again, by the way, that are not conversational. Then God, that's a, that's a weird view of preservation. It's, it, they don't believe in preservation, essentially. But that would be a weird viewpoint of, of God to preserve his words if he, if he thought that was the best plan, considering that language is no longer conversational. Because what is the purpose of, of the words of God? Like, what's the purpose of it? It's, it's for that we know what God has said to us. So if, it, if we are to go to, to, to a language that is no longer conversational, then I would say it's going to be hard for God to, to conversate to us and to direct us in our life from, from a dead language. So really in this, this, whole, this whole episode, like I said, we're, we're really just going to do a simple word study on two words. And that being Scripture, and we've hit some of this as we mentioned but that being scripture and, and being inspiration. And like I said at the beginning, 
the way that we define words, this is, okay, if I'm going and studying a passage, the way, these are the three ways that I define a word, and I do them in this order. Like, number one is more important than number three, okay? Number one, I compare Scripture with Scripture. I go and I search that word, and you can use whatever, but we, we use eSword. It's a very simple Bible software. But we search that word in other places in Scripture so that we can see where it's used in other places. And, 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 and with the context around that word in each passage, it gives you a working definition of what it is. I don't know if, you, I don't know if you've ever been talking with somebody that used big fancy words and you really didn't know what they were saying, but because of the conversation, that, like the, the context of what they were talking about, you kind of pieced it together. Well, that's, that's what you do when you're comparing Scripture with Scripture. You see it in its context over and over and over again, and uh, it gives you a working definition. Secondly, we, just, we use a Webster's 1828 Dictionary because we're English people. It's an English book, and therefore we want to just simply define it. And then thirdly, I do use a, a Strong's Concordance as well. Now, like I said, number one is more important than number two, and it's certainly more important than number three because at the end of the day, there's times that even the Strong's Concordance can lead you astray and stuff like that. But nonetheless, that's how we define words. And so, so like, like I was saying at the beginning of this episode, that is, and we can go to Genesis 3 now. That, that's where we were going to go. If you want to go. Uh, you, you yeah, want to I go. Okay. Um, but that has always been Satan's strategy, as we've, as we've, as we've mentioned, is to, because what is the purpose of God's words? It's to conversate with, with mankind. He wants a relationship with us. He wants a relationship with us. And so he speaks to us and directs us and tells us what we need to know for our life through his word. And then obviously we speak to him through prayer. So uh, what we're simply doing in this is we're not going to take the, the, the Genesis 3-1 approach of, well, I, I think this word means this. Because see, again, the two words that we're studying in this episode is scripture and inspiration. Well, you can go to different churches and to different websites, and, they, and they'll define these words in different ways oftentimes. Well, where do they get that? Well, it's, it's really private interpretation, but they're giving their own definition to a word. It would be like in, in, in our English language, if I went up to this person and said, I hate you, and they kind of like stepped back and looked at me with a you know, like shocked look, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 I don't hate to me doesn't mean that. It means, you know, something else. Well, okay, okay, I mean, I can be that kind of, I mean, that's how liberals are. I can be that, that weird way and just make up whatever the heck I want. But at the end of the day, our, our world, the Christian life, everything is, has guidelines and, and barriers to keep us on track, to show us you know, there's rules to everything. There's rules to studying the Bible. And one of those things is we define words based on what the Bible says that the word means, not what another man says. Compare spiritual with spiritual. That's right. And so, again, Kyle, if you want to read that Genesis 3 passage, maybe yep. uh, like the first two or three verses where it kind of gives okay. Satan doing the three different things. Yeah. Genesis 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And verse 4 says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. 
So we've read that passage to y'all a lot in this in this series. But it, again, it's it's no coincidence that that Satan's first recorded words in Scripture are in in a question. It's a, it's a question that he asks Eve, and the question is involving what has God said. Because at the end of the day, that is what that's what matters the most in all of life is what has God said? Where is absolute truth? And that's why we do have such a, a crazy problem, at least in America today, with uh, you know people don't they don't believe in absolute truth. They believe in relative truth. I mean, you have guys claiming to be women and women claiming to be guys, and they have there's not even scientific uh, support for what they're saying. But it's simply because it's the way they feel. It's the way that they're, you know, declaring themselves or whatever. And so absolute truth is, is oftentimes uh, a fleeting thing today. Um, so Satan's strategy hasn't changed. That was Satan's strategy in, in the very beginning of time, Genesis chapter 3. And it's weird because it's almost like the church nowadays, they think that Satan has changed his tactics. Well, he hasn't. He, he's working in the exact same way. That's why we do have, you know, over a hundred different Bible versions in the English language. That's why we do have men that stand up and say, well, that passage, what that really means, and what they're doing is the same thing Satan did in Genesis chapter 3. He, he not only questions God's word, uh, but he, he, he reinterprets it. He's like, well, this is what actually is going on here. And again, like I said earlier, any, if you have, a, you have someone that is in your church that is constantly doing that or you're listening to someone on YouTube that's constantly doing that, man, stop listening to them. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, uh, they, are, they are their own final authority. Again, it, it's a very Catholic-based thing, which, which shouldn't shock us because like we talked about last week, and if you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to it, but these modern versions that come from... The Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, those those guys had very Catholic-based beliefs. The guys that were very heavily involved in all of those, and both of those manuscripts were found somewhere involving the Catholic Church. One of them, I can't remember which one it was. Go back and listen to it. But one of them actually was found inside the Vatican Library. I mean, I don't know how much clearer it can get. Uh, so that shouldn't shock us. So, man, if anybody, if anybody is ever trying to withhold truth from you and that you know like they're like well you know man this truth you know it you know it's up here you got to know this and you got to know this language and man they're 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 selling you they're selling you a bill of goods ain't no good and so satan's strategy hasn't changed he's he's still at work in that same way because again this is how god communicates to us this is how god directs us this is how god grows us so i'll say this too if if God's design of preservation was to leave his perfect words in manuscripts of languages that no one speaks anymore. Then you know what God really was? He was a respecter of persons. Because that means he gave those early churches in the early church age, he gave them his words. But he didn't give, he didn't give uh, the church from 1700 on, he didn't give them his words. And what's crazy is we're going to be judged by his words. That's literally going to have a weight on, on how we do at the judgment seat of Christ, what we've done with them. So an awful harsh thing to judge us based on his words 
if he hasn't given them to us. So, so as we dive into this, again, two, two words we're studying in this, and you ought to do your study on your own. But two words, the scriptures and inspiration. Because like we've said in several episodes, at the end of the day, everybody, and maybe Kyle, if you want to go to 2 Peter one twenty one, everybody claims, everybody believes in Christianity that the original autographs uh, were inspired. They believe that. Okay, First uh, Peter twenty one one twenty one. Kyle has that talks about uh, the very the very first word of God going forth being uh, verbal from the Holy Spirit moving men of God. So go ahead and read that, Kyle. Second yeah. Peter one twenty one. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Okay, so there we we again everybody is on board with that. They're like, yeah, we know the originals are perfect. We just don't have them now. Okay, well. Uh, I'm going to go to a reference. Where is it at? My note. Okay. Uh, in Jeremiah 36, and we, we kind of hit on this, uh, I think, two episodes ago. Let's see. Okay, so in Jeremiah 36, this is a proof right off the rip. By the way, we're still in the Old Testament. We haven't made it very far. We're still in the Old Testament, and we've already, the originals are already out, they're already gone. But Jeremiah 36, 32 uh, is the end of this chapter. And what happened is the king got the, the roll or the, the, the manuscript there, the originals, if you will, and he burns them in a fire. Well, at the end of the chapter, it says, then uh, Jeremiah 36, 32, then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And then notice this. This will make your Bible critics go crazy. And there were added besides unto them many like words. Okay, so originals in the, in the Old Testament, the wall, burn up. What does what God, God tell them to do? What does God tell Jeremiah to do? Hey, go, go, go redo them. And, and so what we believe as Bible believers is that God was able to take men and to use men to make copies and to, for another guy to make a copy and then another copy and then another copy and to pass down and even to be translated into different languages to present us with truth today. Okay, so that's where every Christian, or, or, or you know, I'm sure there's some out there that don't believe in any type of perfect inspiration in the past. But that's where every Christian, or majority of Christianity is. They, they're like, yeah, the originals, boom. Okay, but we see that, that uh, belief exposed in Jeremiah 36, and that's not true. The originals were, were long gone. They've been long gone. Okay, so again, a study on, on these two words. We'll start, we'll start with Scripture. So do we have Scripture today? Okay, well, so Scripture is found. Uh, and Kyle, if you want to go to Daniel 10, 21. Scripture is found... 32 times in the Bible, and then scriptures in plural is found 21 times. So a total of 53 times we find scripture in scripture because we Dan, got it. Daniel, what did you say? Uh, 1021. Oh, 10. So, it's, so uh, overall, the word scripture, uh, singular or plural, is found 53 times throughout the Word of God. And so the first mention is in... Uh, Daniel ten twenty one. But I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael your prince. Okay, um, and then the so the the first New Testament. If you want to go to uh, Matthew twenty one forty two, 
And so just to, just for our Hebrew and Greek lovers out there, that word in Daniel 10, 21, that's Hebrew. And the, the Hebrew was in the Old Testament and Greek and New Testament. That word is kathab. Again, you can tell I'm no, no uh, Hebrew expert. Uh, it's kathab, which means something written. That's pretty self-explanatory. Okay, so, so again, Scripture means that things have made it to the page. So it's not just the verbally inspired Word of God where these men of God spake, but His inspiration makes it to the page where these men are hearing God's men speak and they're writing it down. Okay, so that's what Scripture is. Uh, that's, and so that, that means something written down, and it's also translating in other places in the Old Testament as writing. Okay, so that's exactly what it is. All right, um, so Kyle has the first reference in the New Testament, which is Matthew 21, 42. 42. Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Okay, and so um, this is where obviously I, I'm, just, I'm just trying to give a little aid and a little courtesy to the Greek and Hebrew lovers out there. But the Greek word, and again, if the Greek disagrees with English, I just I throw it out. But the Greek word there for scripture is graphe. Again, probably mispronunciation, I'm sure. Graphe, which means holy writ. Okay, so it's, it's again, it's making it to the page and it's, it's, called, it's holy. There's something more than just words on a page to this. Okay, and it, that's translated as scripture every other time in the New Testament, which is 51 more times. Okay, so let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. So this is, this is what I call the backbreaker for the Bible critics. This is what, what gets them right here, okay? Because scripture, uh, many people, you know, if we're going to call it holy writ, if we believe it's it's God's words written down, and there's there is something supernatural about them. Then we then we have to ask ourselves first: Well, do we have Scripture today? Okay. Well, we already gave you the, the illustration in Jeremiah 36, where the original autographs those those are not the only thing of uh, that can't be the only source of Scripture because those were destroyed there in Jeremiah 36. God tells them to take another roll, redo the thing, and he even adds some words to it. Okay, so in 2 Timothy 3, we've hit this passage in the series already, but verse 15 and 16 is where we're going. Uh, you go ahead and read that again. Yeah. Uh, chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, so... There we have, we see in verse 16, it's a very popular verse. We see that all scripture, there's talking, referencing, you know, is, in, is given by inspiration. So God gives the, this writing that is on paper, He gives it an inspiration. Okay, that's key. But then notice verse 15 uh, it says, And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So we, we've already hit this point in the past, but Timothy here is not a big wig uh, in the community. Okay, He's not some famous dude, but yet Timothy has access to the Scriptures. 
So it's, it's, it's hard-pressed to believe that Timothy, here in around A.D. 68, has the, the original autographs of the law that Moses, that Moses penned probably 2,000 years before this. It's hard-pressed to believe that. Okay? It's, it's, it's obviously not true. And so what, what Timothy has is he has a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Okay, times tenfold or whatever. That's what he has. And and even though it's a copy, verse 15 still says it, it's going to make him wise. Absolutely. And in verse 16, yep. it's still profitable to him. Yep. Even though it's a copy. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And so it's, it's really like this. We, we made the comment, I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago. And this is, this is viewed as a weird uh, heretical thing to modern Christianity. But we believe that God breathed on the King James Bible when the King James translators were translating it. We have a lot of, we, we discussed that two episodes ago, just seven reasons. There's a lot of unique things about the King James Bible that are supernatural with a numbering system and all kinds of things that show us this is a supernatural book. Okay, but notice verse 16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration. And we're going to define this here in a minute, but inspiration is God's breath. So in other words, we believe that when, when the Bible was being translated, that God can literally give, okay, what is scripture? It's, it's holy writ, it's things, it's word, God, the words of God written down. We believe he is able to give it inspiration. Notice it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So if someone says, well, that's, that wasn't the original inspiration of the original autographs, I don't care. <laughs> they don't really matter because we don't have them. Yeah, I don't have them, and I don't <laughs> care. But according to this verse, God gi- God uh, gives inspiration, or He gives Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration, and so it's you know again, people have a hard time. Uh, you know, they'll say that's just that's just that's hard to believe. That seems uh, a little supernatural or something like that. Well, yeah, it also seems supernatural to believe that someone can believe on a Jewish man that claimed to be 100% God, yet 100% man, that died on a cross, a normal uh, type of killing in that day, to pay for their sin debt. That seems supernatural and very weird too, to be honest with you. It's going to be hard to believe a lot of stuff if you can't just believe we have his words. Yeah, it's hard (laughs) to believe that God would part a Red Sea and they walked on dry land. And by the way, you know what's funny? Many of the Bible correctors... They'll actually try to redefine that story too. There's no end to it. And so really this is the biggest difference between a Bible believer and a, uh, a critic of the Scripture. And again, what is a critic of the Scripture? Is someone that is always correcting our English Bible, saying there is no perfect English Bible, and that you need to refer to the originals, even though we don't have the originals. I don't know how you do that, but whatever. Okay, that's what a Bible critic is. The, the biggest difference between the two, and this is going to sound like I think we're something because I don't think we're anything, but the biggest difference is faith. There is a, this is a faith-based position to believe that the King James Bible is a perfect book. Now, again, we didn't just cherry-pick the King James Bible, and we talked about that in the last several episodes, but we do believe the promises of preservation, like we read at the beginning of this episode, Psalm 12, uh, Psalm 12 6, and 7, and Matthew 24, 35, and there's others. We believe that his words will not pass away. And so, 
in this, man, we, we just have a, if his words won't pass away, then that means, like we've said so many times, that means they're somewhere. And we believe, like for the reasons we said two episodes ago, we believe they're right here in front of us in the King James Bible. Okay, so that, that, is, that is scripture. Okay, we see that scripture is, is when it makes it from the pen to the page. Uh, and, and we see that Timothy has that. Well, I'll give you actually a few examples here while we're on that subject of, of, men, um, of men in scripture that the Bible says they had scripture, but there's no way they had the, the original autographs. So we just laid out Timothy number one there. That's the, that's the quick, most clear and obvious one that we, we always go to. Uh, but secondly, uh, Kyle, if you want to go to, um, are, where are you at now? Luke four. Luke four. Okay. Yeah. Well, let me go to. So, so number two would be Jesus in the temple. So Kyle's got Luke four twenty one. Yeah. So uh, oh twenty one. Um, and he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Okay. And, and that's actually a, a cross reference to Isaiah sixty one. Yeah. So he's he is. Quoting Isaiah, and he's in the temple teaching, teaching them scripture, and he's saying it's being fulfilled in their ears. Again, there's no way that that Jesus at that time, uh, more than more than 800 years later, that he has the original autographs of Isaiah. Yeah. So, so according to to scholars today, poor Jesus right there didn't know he was he was reading something uninspired. Yeah, he was wasting his time, <laughs> just goofing around. All right, and then the third one, and there's other, other examples, we just wanted to hit these main three, is the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. So we, we actually mentioned this story in this passage when we were comparing the products, and we mentioned how Acts 8.37 is withdrawn from most modern versions, and uh, it's literally the plan of salvation. Uh, talks about him believing in his heart, confessing with his mouth, as Romans 10 talks about. But in Acts uh, 8, or early in the chapter, um, let's see, verse 30, let's start in verse 30. So what happens here in the story is Philip is, is, to, is told to leave Samaria. There's a revival going on in Samaria. God tells him, hey, go down to Gaza, which is desert. Kind of seemed kind of strange. Not as, much, not as much going on there. But he does it. And he does, he, God wants him to go down there because there's this Ethiopian eunuch that is seeking truth. We know that because the Ethiopian eunuch is reading the book of Isaiah. So verse 30 says, I'm starting verse 28. It says, Was returning and, uh, and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And then verse 31 says, And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now notice this. This, this joker does not have original autographs of the book of Isaiah. And it says, The place of the scripture which he read was this. And then he goes on talking about Christ being led to the slaughter. So what, is the, what does the Bible call what the Ethiopian eunuch has? He calls it scripture. And so... And there's, there's, there's other examples of this, and we could go on uh, for longer about it, but that is the truth about it. Don't let—we're asking the question in this episode, are you a Bible believer? Don't let some random man that has gone and gotten his Ph.D. and thinks he's smart, don't let some random man come and tell you that what you, that what you have 
is not Scripture. Don't let them redefine the word. Go and, and study it out in Scripture like we have here. That's how you get working definitions of words. And so that we've, just, we've described what Scripture is. And obviously, Scripture is not just the original autograph, so we can say that we have Scripture today. Okay, now the second question would be, did you have, I know you had some notes on inspiration. Did you have some on the Scripture thing that you wanted to add? Uh, no, no. Okay. Really. Um, so the second word we're doing a word study on is inspiration. Now, inspiration is not mentioned near as much. It's only mentioned twice in Scripture. Um, but we'll study this out because the first question is, do we have Scripture today? And then secondly, there would be a group of people that would say we have Scripture, but it's not inspired. Now, I don't know how they do that with second, considering 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16 says it's given by inspiration. Um, I don't know how you do that. But it's also the same way that people, that churches have women pastors, and 1 Timothy clearly teaches that it's a man. So, and I don't have a, that's not a hot button for me. I'm just saying there's clear teachings in Scripture that people just are like, nah, we're good. We're just going to bypass that. <laughs> so I don't know how they do it, but they do it. Um, so in this thing of inspiration, there's only two references, so maybe we'll just read both of them real quick. Okay. Um, are you in Job? I'm in Job. Okay. I'm, let me read 2 Timothy 3.16 again. Right. So uh, we read it earlier, but uh, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, that's the second time it's used, and the first time it's used, law first mentioned here is Job 32.8, and Kyle has that reference. Yep, Job 32.8. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. And you can, you can see from those two that the Bible doesn't say some original is inspired, but, but it's an ongoing ministry of yes. the Holy Spirit. So, yeah, inspiration happens from the, the Word of God to the reader. That God, that God works in that. Okay, it, inspiration is connected with God giving us understanding. Yeah. That's what it's for. Because again, what's the purpose of God's words? It's to communicate with us. It's to direct us. It's to teach us. It's for it to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Okay, but what's interesting in that, and I've made this point before, but I also want you to look at Genesis 2-7 as a cross-reference to Job 32-8. or 32-8. Genesis 2, verse 7, and it says, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So in the first part of that reference in Job 32, 8, the spirit in man, that is God's breath. So God's breath is where inspiration comes from. So again, like, like I was kind of getting at earlier, we believe that God gave the King James translators understanding and directed them to give us the words that he wanted for this generation for the last 400 years and plus. We, we believe he did that. Again, someone could say that, that, that's, that, seems, that seems far-stretched. Well, I would propose to you that a lot of faith in the Word of God and Christianity seems far-fetched. Okay, but I made this point in a few episodes ago, but the thing about inspiration being connected with God's breath is that every attribute of God is eternal. And so God's breath, therefore, is eternal. So just like he breathed on those men in, in 2 Peter one twenty one, and the holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, just as he breathed on them, 
he could he could breathe on the tran- uh, uh, on the translating of the word of God into another language. And by the way, he can breathe on you as you seek to study out this book on a daily basis. Cuz cuz his inspiration is connected with understanding. That's why we we've we talk about it in our churches all the time that this book is a spiritually discerned book. Matter of fact, uh, 1 Corinthians 1 and I think chapter 2, it talks, uh, it, it gives us the, uh, the, uh, the contrast between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. It says that, that the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. Like to them, it's stupid. It doesn't make any sense. And, and again, that's why in every bit of this and even believing that we have a perfect Bible, there's a faith aspect to it. There is. We're just taking God's promises of preservation and we're believing them. It's got to be somewhere. Those perfect words have to, re- have to be around if he said he would preserve them. And so I've, I've made this comment in the past, but I'll make it again. But again, most of Christianity believes the original autographs were inspired. They believe the Second Peter one twenty one. They believe the verbally inerrant, inspired word of God. They, they say that phrase all the time. But they don't believe it could be inspired and preserved later on. So we're, therefore, we have you know a perfect inspired Bible today. Okay, the problem with that is, and we've said this, that inspiration without preservation is pointless. There's just no there's no sense in it. And again, I would propose to you that if God would give one generation his words but not give us his words then he's a respecter of persons yeah. and he can't hold Luke twelve forty eight says to whom much is given much much shall be required he can't hold us to the same standard if we don't have his words and we but we certainly know we still have to go to the judgment seat we're going to have to face judgment we're going to have to give an account for our life after salvation so that obviously is is, is not true and so Again, just trying to show here how, how Scripture and, and, okay, the first question that we're trying to lay out is, do we have Scripture today? I think we've, using the Word of God, we've, we've proven that to be true. We do. Scripture is not attached to the original autographs. And then secondly, is the Scripture that we have inspired? Again, I don't, I don't know how you can say no to that just simply from 2 Timothy three fifteen and 16. Again, Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration. And what is inspiration tied to? It it's, comes from God's breath. So God can breathe on, on what He wants to breathe on. Yeah. God can keep His words and give His words to every generation. So Kyle actually had a... a we, in the beginning of this episode, we were you know, trying to reiterate how we don't need to let men define words in, in the Bible for us. We need to be able to, to define them ourselves by breaking down Scripture with Scripture. And so, just like in the example I gave you with Calvinism, um, Bible correctors have actually been doing this for a long time too, just like Calvinists do. They don't, I'm not saying they are Calvinists, but they will take terms and they will give them their own definition that is not necessarily in agreement with the Word of God's definition, but they'll say, hey, this is the working definition, and then everybody's like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's the definition. Well, they don't have any, again, like the example I gave you, I can walk up to somebody in our English language and say, I hate you. And they get all offended. And I'm like, what are you getting offended about? Hate don't mean that to me. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm wrong. Because hate does mean a certain thing. And there's a definition to it. 
And so go ahead with that example you had there. Yeah, I just wrote down a couple of what are called experts or scholars, whatever you want to call them, what they've said when they, they were asked uh, about inspiration of Scripture. Um, and I'm not, it's just like what Dylan said, where they, they pull something out and just put their own definition on it. Because clearly looking at Job 32.8 and that 2 Timothy 3.16, in both of those, it says, inspiration of the Almighty giveth, or inspiration of God, right? Given by inspiration of God. You can see that the, the Bible answers this question. But these, these gentlemen right here, here's what they said. Louis uh, Gausson, he's a Swiss Protestant. When asked how this work of divine inspiration has been accomplished in the men of God, here's what he said, we should reply that we do not know. <laughs> the second guy is Lewis Sperry Schaefer. He's an American theologian. Uh, he was actually the first president of uh, Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, he said the doctrine of inspiration, because it is supernatural, presents problems to our understanding. So as humans, and because this is a supernatural thing, we, we can't understand it. There's no way of knowing. Uh, and then the next one is Henry C. Thyssen. He's the former president of a, a, the Master's College in California. Uh, he says, uh, we, we do not know the mode of inspiration. We can't know it. And then the last one, Benjamin Garfield. He's a professor of theology at Princeton Seminary. He said, there is no indication of how God has operated in producing inspiration. So we have this word here that literally tells us, and all these guys, majority of their answers were, we can't know, we don't know, there's no indication of it in the scripture, which literally that's them just putting their own definition on it, obviously. What what they're saying is, I mean, God couldn't get his words into our language. Right. There's no way. There's no way it could have happened. Um, But uh, one of these guys, here's what inspiration meant to to John Wesley. Um, And I would say his matches the Bible's definition. John Wesley said, The Spirit of God not only once inspired those who wrote it, but continually inspires, supernaturally assists those that read it with earnest prayer. Hence it is so profitable for doctrine, for instruction of the ignorant, for the reproof or conviction of them that are in error or sin, for the correction or amendment of of whatever is amiss, and for instructing or training up the children of God in all righteousness. So he says the Spirit of God continually inspires believers and that's what we were reading inspiration comes from the almighty he giveth it uh to them for for understanding right that's what we read in job 32 um and then like like dylan was mentioned earlier if if you look up uh the word inspiration in webster's 1828 dictionary not one time does he mention originals or, or or anything about some original manuscript right he he actually gives quotes from the king james bible um, in the Webster's 1828. Um, but all these other guys, they, they say there's no way we can know. They're, they were inspired, right? But there's nothing we can do about it. So this, this theory of only the original autographs are inspired, um, from what I found, came out in the late 19th century. Um, and it's actually from more of these experts coming together, these theologians or whatever uh they came they came together in 19 october 1978 i think it was but it was 200 of these evangelicals right they got together and they were going to give their own definition for this inspiration because i guess they didn't read it in the bible here um but they call it it's called uh, the statement of faith is called the chicago statement on biblical inerrancy you can look it up if you want um, but this is actually what a lot of churches and colleges use today, universities, whatever, something close to this. But the, the articles are here. I'm just going to read four of them real quick. 
Article 6 says, We affirm that the whole of Scripture and all its parts, down to the very words of the original, were given by divine inspiration. So note that they say were given. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. past tense. Article 7, We affirm that inspiration was the work in which God, by His Spirit, through human writers, gave us His words. So again, note, inspiration was... It's past tense, but every Bible says is inspired, other versions even. The King James says given by inspiration of God. Other versions still say is inspired, Mm -hmm. right? So so they're not even past tense, but these scholars, or they're putting their own definition on it. Mm -hmm. Article 8 says, we affirm that God in his work of inspiration utilized the distinctive personalities and literary styles of the writers whom he had chosen and prepared. So God utilized personalities. Again, past tense. Inspiration is limited to these these originals, apparently, according to these guys. And then the last one right here, article number nine. We affirm that inspiration, though not conferring omniscience, guaranteed true and trustworthy utterance on all matters of which the biblical authors were moved to speak and write. Inspiration guaranteed biblical authors everything they're saying is past tense Mm -hmm. so they've they've changed this word of inspiration which the bible says the holy spirit it's a it's a continual ministry of the holy spirit and they've made it all past tense so so making our definition now it's only the originals well they 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 for some reason pigeonhole inspiration into a one-time thing yep and it's just not it's just not and when you were i had two thoughts when you were going through those one being that uh, there's always, you know, you, you mentioned the, the first guys, and then last, uh, they were like given the random definitions on, or they, they said, we, we can't know. Can't know, right? yeah. <laughs> um, and last week in internal and external evidence, we tried to break down the different men that were involved in the Alexandrian manuscripts, which we believe are flawed manuscripts that produces the modern versions, not the King James. Um, and, and in most of those guys, they were considered to be uh, philosophers and Bible teachers, and so it's it's like these guys they they all mix philosophy and their own reasoning with God, with the Bible. Man. And our man, our thoughts are not his. You know, our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. Okay, they're, they're, his are above ours. Our reasoning is the wisdom of this world. At the end of the day, like the way that we can think outside of the Word of God is is contrary to what the Word of God says. Oftentimes, and so I, I, I could see that. Philosoph- uh, the philosophical mindset even being yeah. showed out there. But then also when you mentioned John Wesley, it also reminded me of this, that there's just like there was Alexandrian manuscripts and there were, were Antioch uh, manuscripts, there's always been two approaches to the Bible. No matter what generation they lived in, no matter what century, there's always been two people. And there's two people today. People that approach the Word of God skeptically, and people that approach the Word of God believingly. Yeah. There's always two. There's two today. There was two then. And you're, you're one of them. You're one of the other. And, and that's the whole question in this, this whole episode is, man, do you believe that you have access, access in a book to God's perfect words to you? Yeah. Okay, so I, and that's actually the first question of these three. I, I, I wrote down three questions to kind of land this plane of this whole series, if you will. Number one, I just I just said it, but do you believe you have access to God's perfect words in a book? And again, like we said, the defini- again, let's, let's get real working definitions. The definition of 
Bible means the book. So if you are somebody that says, well, they're in the manuscripts, you got it. They're all spread out across dozens and dozens of manuscripts. Okay. Just know, take that take if you want to. God bless you. Just know you're not a Bible believer because they're not conformulated into a book. Okay, number two, does your position encourage or discourage confidence to another believer in a Bible that they have access to? So I made the comment earlier, I don't understand the critic's view oftentimes. I mean, I do for some of them. Some of them just want to be the big dog and seem smart, and they want to be the, 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 you know, the final say. But at the end of the day, whichever viewpoint you have, whichever, just like those two, those two lines of thinking that Kyle was quoting those different men on, some were like, ah, oh, we don't know, and then John Wesley gave a biblical answer. He, he approached the Word of God believingly. Okay, does your approach... Does it encourage your fellow brother in Christ, your fellow sister in Christ? Is it always uplifting the Bible that they have? Or is it always casting doubt on the Bible that they have? Because again, that's, that is what Satan did, is cast a doubt on the words of God in Genesis chapter 3. And then number three, if you answered number one, if you answered yes to number one, number one was, do you believe you have access to God's perfect words in a book? Okay, if you answered yes to that, Number three is, is that book your final authority? It, it, is, that, is that the final say in every area of your life? Like I said, just like we actually define these words, these two words that we studied in this episode, just like we define those, how did we define them? Well, we primarily, we went, to, we went to the Word of God. We broke down Scripture to define what these words mean. That, that's how it becomes your final authority. It's not, well, well, yeah, I know it says that, but, you know, this one guy one time told me this, and it, it made pretty good sense, you know. Okay, well, which, one, who, which one's your final authority? Yeah. I've heard examples of, of guys that they thought the world of their Greek professor in, in a Christian college. And they're like, man, this guy, he knows his stuff, and he, he, he can tell me why this, this, and this is wrong in the King James Bible. Okay, well... Is that man your final authority? Like if, if, if when things, when, rub, when the rubber meets the road and we got to figure out where truth lies, is that man the source of your truth? If he is, just acknowledge it. But what I'm saying is that a Bible believer, their final authority, their final say on any matter is the book that is in front of them. And maybe, you know what, maybe there's people out there that, would be a, a Bible believer in ESV. I, you know, I've never met one. Most of those people still all, no, none of them believe in a perfect Bible, English Bible. They just think it's the closest to the originals, you know, that kind of thing. That's, that's kind of why the ESV is big right now. They believe it's the cr- closest to the originals, but their closest to is the Alexandrian text, which we don't believe at all. But anyway... So is, is it your final authority? So do you, number, again, number one, do you believe that you have access to God's perfect words in a book? Number two, does your position encourage or discourage confidence to another believer in a Bible that they have access to? Are you uplifting or tearing down in that aspect? And then number three, is that book your final authority? So I don't know. I think this, this whole series was good. If you have any questions, um, Email us, message us on a social media platform. If you don't follow us on those, we're on pretty much all of them. Um, so do that, message us, let us know. 
I don't know what's coming next, but at the end of the day, this topic is so important. It's one of the biggest reasons we even wanted to do a podcast is because, again, truth is obviously an extremely important thing, but truth is also an extremely attacked thing. And that's not anything new, as we saw. That's been happening since Genesis chapter 3. Yeah. And so where, where, where does truth lie to you? Do you? Are you a Bible believer? Is it in a book that you have access to today? And if you believe that it is, then, man, it ought to be your final authority. You ought to give your life to it. Yeah, we started this whole thing with did God preserve his words? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think we've laid out a, a ton of evidence for that uh, and, and enough evidence to show that that, that book is the King James. Yeah. And, and now it's just up to, to everyone listening to, to take that evidence and just have that, like we mentioned earlier, that, that faith-based view that yeah. this is the words of God. Yeah, and, and like, like we said, I mean, just kind of repeating myself here, but throughout the last several episodes. But we, we didn't just cherry pick the King James because we were like, you know, that has a cool name to it. You know, or like I said, we didn't just pick it because we were raised in an atmosphere and in a church that pushed the King James. Um, we had we studied it out for ourselves. And so, again, back to those two promises of preservation that we have consistently read every week. Psalm 12, 6 and 7. And Matthew twenty four thirty five, God has promised preservation. So if He has, I mean, you got to figure out where it's at. You got to figure out where it's at. So are you a Bible believer? Do you believe the book you have is God's com- way of communicating to you what He wants you to know? Yep. Yeah, that, that second question you asked, I was thinking, you know, people pointing out things in the in the King James mm-hmm. or whatever. I mean, I, I believe, like people saying, this contradicts this over here. I, I think God put this in there to trip up people that, yeah. that want to be skeptics and don't want to study and believe it. Right. You know, and I'll be honest, I, it's such a popular thing to, like, people looking to correct things. And by the way, if there were NIV only us tomorrow, the NIV would would be attacked just the same way that oftentimes yeah. King James, the King James position is. That's true. You don't hear any onlyest in any of the other. There's no such thing. <laughs> and it's it's not about the King James. They people don't dislike the King James. They don't like the they don't like the aspect of there being a perfect book to, to have as a final authority. Yeah. Because again when you when you say you gotta go to the Greek and you gotta go to the Hebrew and you gotta and when I and I, by the way I'll reference some Greek and Hebrew I got no problem with it. But again it is not my final authority. It is just simply a study tool that I have beside my final authority. And so whenever you hear people say those kind of things and that you got to have this deeper level of knowledge to really know what God says, well, that is so completely contradictory to, to the nature of God. Again, the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. And the wisdom of men is, is foolishness unto the Lord. And so maybe I'll close out with this reference here. In Mark 12, 37, God has always been for the common people. He's always been for the common man. He, he, he's always been for the guy that will just simply hear what his words, hear what he is saying, and by faith believe it. The, 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 the disciples that he chose, most of them were very simple, simple men. Many of them were fishermen. Very simple guys. Yeah, Acts 4 says they could tell they were unlearned and ignorant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I like this reference in Mark 12, 37. Jesus is, 
is, uh, is teaching. Verse 36 says, For David himself said by the Holy Ghost, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. He's quoting an Old Testament reference. And then in Mark 12, 37, it says, David therefore himself calleth him Lord. And whence is he then his son? And then listen to this last phrase of Mark 12, 37. And the common people heard him gladly. When you look at the ministry of Christ when he was on earth, it wasn't the super intellectuals that actually followed him and that believed what he said. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and and those that were high up, they actually didn't believe anything he said. But it was the it was the the average Joes, the people that that simply just took what he said and just understood it believingly. And that's the way that God works today. Those that will take his word, believe it by faith, and apply it to their life. He's always been for the common people. And the way in, in, in the Christian life, the way up is down. The world says, hey, the way you climb the ladder, the way you get up is to climb the ladder. Shoot for the stars. Get, you know, become something. Well, according to the Bible, the way up is actually through humility. It's to lower yourself. Yeah. So, and God's no different today. That's how he speaks to us. That's how he wants us to respond to his words. Yep. Yeah, that, that common people heard, and that throws out all the theologians saying you got to know Greek and Hebrew, yeah. and that throws out the, the Pope saying he's got to read the word yeah. for you. Well, like I said, <laughs> I, I know I've made this comment several times, but just to kind of finish this thing out, just as a, another reminder, any, if you're listening to anybody... And we don't think we, we know it all, by, uh, not even a shade of it. Yeah. But if you're listening to anybody that is telling you, like, I know something that you don't, so you need to come to me so that you can really know what it's saying, that's always a red flag. Yep. Get away from that stuff. Because the common people heard them gladly. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening. This this closes out with this fourth part, the the Words of God series. Amen. The King James. Some people are probably glad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> glad to get onto something else. Uh, nah, that is really good. But uh, yeah, share. Don't forget share this thing. If you if you have any questions about anything we've said on here about the King James or whatever, you can send us an email. It's always tagged down uh, below of every one of these videos. Um, or you can message us on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, whatever you got. But but don't forget to share it. Get this get this thing out there. Thanks for listening.